Hey, I'm Brett Gornick. I'm Jason Lobig. Welcome to the Live Better Podcast. As Nike trainers, international retreat leaders, and wellness advisors, we help people from all different backgrounds push towards their potential, get healthy, and change the world. This podcast is about teaching others to actively pursue their entrepreneurial dreams, similar to how we pursued ours, and how to get and stay healthy doing it. We didn't start our careers in training and wellness. Jason worked in public accounting, and I, Brett, worked in corporate retail until starting our dream experiential wellness business, Live Better. What started as an idea for a protein bar led us down a path to build what Live Better is now, which performs everything from personal training and corporate wellness to international wellness retreats and yoga and meditation for kids. We are here to encourage you to follow your dreams while holding you accountable. It's not easy, it's not always simple, but it is possible. Let's make today the best day ever. Hey guys, welcome to the Live Better Podcast. Today on the show, we have Blue Benedum, an amazing run coach, an amazing athlete. Blue, welcome to the show and thank you for hopping on here with us. Stoked to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. So where are you checking in from right now? You live in a cooler place than all the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Malibu, California. And what did you just finish doing this morning? Oh God, it was, I, I wanted to forget about it. <laughs> Uh, so I just finished a 20 mile run, 17 of which were painful. It's my last hard workout before Boston. So yeah, glad to sort of have that off the, out of the way and, and onto my taper. So, so Boston got pushed back again. Um, so what, what has been the like training cycle for that kind of, this is a good sort of segue I know into a lot of the things that you've been focused on and that you're working on. Kind of talk through that that Boston journey and why sort of this one is the most impactful to you, and then we'll go back and uh, learn all about you growing up and doing fun yeah. stuff. Awesome, yeah. It's it's been a really exciting season because about well, actually, exactly 161 days ago, I paid a visit to my old coach Richard Diaz up in Camarillo, and he dropped a bomb on my training, my methodology, my philosophies, everything that I've sort of come to know in running. He basically dropped a bomb on it. And it was this really, really cool conversation where he said, you know, if imagine if you fueled your body by eating all your fats on Monday, all your proteins Tuesday, and all your carbs on Wednesday, how do you think your metabolism would be by the end of the week? I was like, no brainer. It's probably pretty crappy, you know? Um, he said, well, if you think about it, traditionally, that's how we, that's how we create our, our training um, for running. We, we do aerobic runs on Monday, we do our speed workout on Tuesday, long run on the weekend. And so we're, we're segregating the, the, the different ingredients. And he said, after 25 years of testing athletes with heart rate and VO2 max and studying thousands of athletes in the lab, he's like, I, I went, sit, went to sit down and write my book and I, I wasn't happy with the way that we thought about the energetic systems as opposed to one energetic system, like aerobic, anaerobic, VO2 max, it's all part of one system, not separate systems. And when we race, we need to tap into all of it. So when we're training, why are we always segregating it? Why wouldn't we do more integrating of these ingredients and treat the system as a whole? I was like, dude, you got my attention. And that was 161 days ago. The method that, that he wrote in his book called Training the Dark Side, it's called Runflow. And uh, I have since done Runflow every single session since having that conversation with him. And I am in a completely different category in my own life, in my own running than I've ever been. And it's, you know, it's not like, can I say I'm a better marathoner? I don't know yet. 
you know, that's kind of what Boston's for. I mean, but I've changed everything. And so the cool thing for me is it's sort of this new lease on, on the sport because I don't think about any elements of my running the way I have for the last 15 years. And that's crazy. Like I, you know, I was definitely feeling like on the older side of running, you know, like I've been around, I've done 66 marathons, um, been coaching athletes for a decade. And it's like, you know, I've like, I feel like I've been around the block and I've done it all. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, he comes and blindsides me. It's like, oh no, you're a baby, you know, nothing. And now my body, like I'm running paces like today. I mean, I, my, my average was, you know, 520 for 17 miles. And I mean, for me, that's a big deal. You know, I'm, I, it's, that's, a, that's fast running. I was, I, I dropped some like sub five minute miles in there and recovered really quick in the five forties. And it's just like, for me, like I said, it's all relative to each person. Right. And for me, that's a, that's a, that's a heavy workout, you know, and, um, a lot of it in this last five months has been like that. It's been like surprising. And the really cool thing is none of the training is structured based on pace or distance. It's all time and, and intensity. So you look down and you're seeing these paces and you're like, holy crap, I'm not even trying to run a pace. I'm just like, I'm just pushing on an intensity. And so, yeah, that's been, like I said, the whole thing is so refreshing. So I'm super pumped. So, okay, first of all, that is insanity. By far the fastest person we've ever ever had on here. Um, and like heavy would be an understatement for those paces. If you don't run, that's absurdly fast for a very long distance. Um, I, I don't know, maybe it was because of you or because of uh, Hunter, but I had been getting into high rocks races um, yeah. over the course of the last like year and a half. And I think that I had seen something from Hunter post from coach Diaz. And then I came across you working with him and it was just like, all right, two, like two very different types of run athletes for very different purposes using the same method. And so I got the book, read the book and I was like selfishly also really wanted to have you on here because like, I want to know about this because intuitively to me, that's always how running has almost like needed to feel because I grew up playing soccer where you've got long runs, you've got short sprints, but it's sort of one continuous effort of varying pace. And so it always, I always understood that, okay, we have our light aerobic runs as in a recovery pace on days where we don't want the overall intensity to be too high. And this is a little bit of a flush, but even to me on those days, like running that slow always kind of pissed me off and always kind of pissed my legs off. Like never really felt like real good recovery to me. The runs that always felt the best to me were these mixed runs where I was doing some fast, some slow, kind of paying attention to my body. Um, but mostly for application of sport, it's just, you're responding to what's happening in front of you. But in soccer, it's one long continuous flow. There is no, well, here you get to run slow. And then here we're expecting you to run fast, sort of, you need that on demand. And what pulled me into it was high rocks is these like extremely elevated levels of intensity on the strength and conditioning side. And then all of a sudden you're supposed to drop this 400 pound sled and sprint a thousand meter repeat. But the whole competition has eight of them. So it's like five miles of, <laughs> of sprinting. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, this makes so much sense. Can you sort of talk through 
if we're if we're creating a better proportioned plate of all of those elements, um, how sort of Coach Diaz kind of talks through that, or how you would talk through a client on how those elements add up in each workout? Because my biggest question is understanding that High Rocks has these elements where you need to run fast, and then you sort of need to recover to do these strength events, and then you need to run fast again, and something like maybe a big trail run would also have these big climbs of intensity and then these sort of flat efforts where you can kind of kind of modulate your effort. But like a marathon is the most interesting one to me because for the most part, we talk about like either progressive runs or negative splits or causing it to be a more steady state where I wouldn't see as much need for this like really fast, high intensity effort, really slow one. So can you just kind of walk through like, a little deeper explanation of how those individual ingredients sort of add up to different types of fitness and then maybe how you're approaching it just from the marathon itself. Yeah. I, it's uh, it's going to be exciting to do the marathon, especially for Richard, because he ha- that's the one sport he hasn't tested yet. So he's done the high rocks, you know, with Hunter, he's done, he's done a lot of CrossFit stuff with this uh, with, with insane results in the CrossFit stuff. Uh, so the marathon will be, this will be the first sort of experiment. Um, I'm sort of the guinea pig for it. Uh, and a couple of our athletes that we're coaching as well. But yeah, so the ingredients, you know, it's what is similar to traditional running is, is the ratios relative to each other of these ingredients. So if you look at the aerobic work we do, the anaerobic work, and then pushing even harder into the VO2 max stuff, um, kind of, kind of say there's, there's four ingredients. The final one would be skill work. Um, these four elements are present in every training plan. So it's not like the wheel is not being reinvented. It's just being put together in a different way. And it's, it's simply saying exactly what you said about your soccer, you know, training. And it's so funny because if you look at soccer, you look at a sport like cycling, you look at, I mean, basketball, you look at almost any other sport, there's going to be these varying levels of intensity during the sport. And I, I like to, I like to always say like, imagine if you went to your buddies and you're like, Hey, you guys, let's go play a game of soccer or like do a scrimmage and, and let's just like go easy today. Like, what? <laughs> like go home, you know, it's not, it's not, take all the fun out of it. And in a lot of ways, that's what we're bringing back to running. It's like, you kind of bring the game back. And so every time you do a run, it's all of a sudden this sort of game you're playing with yourself. And you, when you played soccer, you had this expectation that like, when the ball comes your way, you're going to sprint to the ball. There's no like, maybe I'll run hard. And then when you run hard to the ball, you're not thinking like, oh my God, this is so hard. It's like, you're getting the ball, you know? So I think it's like, what this ends up doing is changing the relationship you have with yourself in regards to running harder and faster. It's no longer this grind and this like work to like get to this uh, hard, heavy, you know, this sucks type of thing. It's more like, all right, now we're going fast. Like I'm warmed up and I can turn it on. Um, a lot like another sport. So, and then, yeah, going back to, to cycling, I mean, these, I've always, for years, I've watched these cyclists, especially in LA, these, these group rides, watching the pros. And I mean, almost every day they, they do these group rides and they race each other at some point. I mean, they're, they're always, it's like bragging rights. They're always hammering each other up the hills. And I always wondered how would they do that without burning out? And um, I bring it up because it sort of answers your question about these different ingredients and how they fit together you know, the ratios are relative to each other of aerobic versus anaerobic versus VO2 max. And so at first glance, it would look like if you do speed work every day, you're going to burn out. You can maybe survive that for a couple of weeks, right? Like the, and then you're done. 
Well, not when you do 80% of your work aerobic and 20% anaerobic, right? Like even if you do it every day, at the end of the week, me and a traditional runner are going to be this, be doing the same amount of all of these things. So like, let's say like we're doing 40 miles aerobic and, and 10 miles anaerobic, another three miles VO2 max. <clears throat> so that's kind of how it shakes out. So week to week to week. And this is also how we create progression. So as depending on what, like if you're talking about Hunter and he's doing OCR races, like these guys are racing hard all the time. I mean, it's like every weekend there's a race, right? So they're looking at it more of a season. So like they get up to a peak for their season and they just kind of, their workouts are, they're just spanning like whatever that season is to hit all those races. With a marathon, you've got this one race and you're trying to really hit that peak for that one race. So, you know, we control the ratios relative to each other. We extend the anaerobic work going into our peak and then we taper off, you know, during that last couple of weeks. Um, but that's all controlled a lot like it is traditionally. It's just that they're, they're divided up over every single session rather than having separate days, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So when you're doing the marathon and you're thinking about, um, and I kind of, this is, I guess this sort of question is woven in with this. Like when you're doing the marathon and you're going a little bit more by feel there also though is, which I'm sure that he tests and you test on the back end. There is always an associated objective measurement on the back end, heart rate, uh, pace. Um, how do you, and maybe you could answer this kind of like for you, and then maybe also for sort of a subset of clients for you, when you're going to go through the marathon, how are you going about matching those two things up? It may be that you're just kind of so fit. You're not going to cross that threshold. If you sort of know what that pace is going to feel like, um, maybe talk through that. And then also as a second thing, if you have someone that's a newer runner, that's not quite so that's not in such good shape. Like even for me, I run a lot, but not, not a, a runner would balk at it. Um, for me, like when I start running, my heart rate goes to like 140. It's pretty much the lowest I could keep it. But for, but I really like redlining. So it's not hard for me to go VO2 max and just blaze 200, 400 repeats. I like sitting with that feeling that like I'm kind of about to vomit for like almost an hour. Whereas most people are like, oh, I could run for 17 hours at this slow pace and not kind of feel this. So how do you sort of match up like for you in the marathon? How are you going to go objective versus subjective? And then for somebody who's newer that doesn't have that great relationship between being like, well, I feel like I'm at a six out of 10 right now. And you kind of look down and you're like, okay, confirmed that sort of match real and feel is so off for someone or they're new, how do you kind of introduce them to this style of running rather than be like, Hey, I know that you're going to be aerobic or it's slow at 10 minutes, kind of follow what your watch is telling you. Like, how do you kind of marry those two things? Yeah. I think if you're, if you're on the very, very beginner side of the sport and entry level, and you don't really understand the idea of aerobic versus anaerobic, high intensity, like a lot of people, when they run, running's hard. So like the association of like, you know, running easy and running hard, it doesn't make any sense. Like <laughs> running's hard. What do you mean run easy? Like if I'm running, it's hard, right? So, you know, I think it does help in that situation to have an understanding of what, what heart rate are you aerobic at? And when do you cross that threshold and become anaerobic? And if you know that, then everything else becomes much easier. And, and then you can start to have that association with how it feels to be aerobic versus anaerobic. I think, you know, we take that for granted. A lot of us that have had a lot of experience training and 
uh, I, I trained on heart rate for a long time with, with Diaz when he was my coach 10 years ago. And so I just sort of know what that threshold is. And I know when I'm in that aerobic zone or when I'm going anaerobic. Um, but I think what you, what has really shifted and I think what's relevant to beyond just creating these associations with how it feels to be in these different intensities is, is what you're trying to ultimately achieve. And so we used to try to achieve aerobic fitness as in a marathon, especially we're trying to like grow our aerobic capacity and, and we're sprinkling in the speed work to sort of, to sort of supplement that and to get faster, but we know we want to be aerobic. Well, basically Richard's training the dark side is, is kind of a flip to the script and it's saying like, you know, we just need to be, we want to create the most robust system or systems that we can. So the more anaerobic work you do, the more you're going to be able to do it essentially. But what's actually happening on a scientific level is that lactate that your body's producing once you go anaerobic, you get a, you get a rebate energetically because your body can get really good at, at taking that lactate shell system, takes that lactate back into the body and actually can metabolize it to a point, right? So if you get good at that, all of a sudden, when you're doing these longer pushes, whether it's a trail workout, whether it's a high rocks race, you could go anaerobic for, for an hour, like Hunter, like 57 minutes anaerobic. The guy's just hammering the whole time. How do you do that for an hour, right? Like it's because he's so good at that lactate shuttle system. It's just, it's just firing. So he's just, his energy is just, it's not just coming from glycogen. It's also the lactate as well. So, and he's so efficient at that. So with Hunter also, he's, he's also an aerobic beast. I mean, he can just, it's, I do some workouts with him and it's crazy what a guy that's 205 pounds can He's running 540, you know, per mile and, and he can do it for eight miles, you know? So he's also super aerobic, but, and I think what, what people might not realize is that he's also doing the aerobic work, right? But it's the capacities of each of them that are, that are growing and it's, it's the ability to push and stay anaerobic and be able to survive it. And I think with the marathon, you know, it's how much of the marathon can you do anaerobically? At my last Boston, I had an average heart rate of 162 which puts me over my threshold on average for the entire race. And it was a warm day. And I remember looking at my heart rate, like, Oh damn, I didn't train for this. And I, I paid the price. It was, it was hard. I mean, it was a battle, but I also had a lot of experience as a marathoner going anaerobic for the whole race. So I had, I kind of knew I could survive it from like a warrior perspective, but my training in that cycle hadn't really supported that. Whereas now we're, we're pushing on that. Like in my run today, I would just go into two or three mile chunks of just hammering as hard as I could. And then pull back, but not pull all the way back. Still kind of keep keep on the gas. And I think that's sort of like what we're mimicking is more of these just these moments of anaerobic hammering, you know, and then being able to recover at a quality pace. And that's something that I've never really done in, in training before. It's always like intervals of pace and then actual recoveries. And then an interval of pace and then an actual recovery, you know, which you never do in a race. So, you know, why do we train like that? Uh, the reason we train like that is because you can get away with more when you have the recoveries built in, right? But at some point, you need to graduate beyond that and really start to put workouts together that have a lot more what the race is going to entail. And, and that's what's happening with the high rocks, the, the OCR races. Um, their training looks a lot more like their performances. So hopefully this this marathon approach is similar to that. So you're finding now that the every single run is more simulated of the actual race itself versus Brian trying to break it into essentially these two chunks of let's build up our aerobic capacity so we can run a marathon then also build up speed so that we can run it at a pace in which we want to mirror. 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's like you sort of, but beyond that, the paces melt away. Like I think, cause I've been training like this, what has it been? Five plus months and specifically for the marathon for 20 weeks. Um, so can you give us just a quick insight to what your training week looks like versus what it has in the past? Yeah. Which I think that's really exciting and, and also kind of scary. <laughs> so I, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I get what you're saying. And like, I felt that on runs, but I'm like, it's just so interesting to hear this new perspective. I'm very excited to see how the race turns out, Uh, but I'd love to hear like, what's your week look like uh, versus the average speed run, tempo run, recovery run, long run, and maybe an extra aerobic day that you put into a standard marathon plan. Yeah. Well, let me first say that regardless of what happens in Boston, I will never go back to traditional training. And, and I'm talking coming off of a decade of traditional marathoning and Canova based methods where, you know, so talking about what I used to do hundred mile weeks, you know, my, my sweet spot was like anywhere from like 85 to hundred for, for your average weekly mileage in a, in a marathon buildup. And that's, I've done 10 marathons sub two thirty, and my, my fastest was two twenty three, And it was just a lot of 10 mile, easy days, 10 mile, moderate days, whatever. And then, you know, a, a pretty hard grinding long run, a good hard tempo run, and then a day of strides. And that was, that was the gospel, you know, like I was introduced in 2012 to Canova's methods. And that's when I first broke 230 in the marathon. And I'd already run, you know, like 50 plus marathons. So like I, I was coming from this place of, I, I started my first marathon was 314. I was not that fast. I was not a Boston qualifier when I started running. I was a surf bum. I like, I rock climbing, surfing. That was my jam. Um, throw me into a run. I did it for a workout, but I didn't really know much about running. And, you know, I was, what I loved about it was like this gnarly test. You know, you, you really met yourself in a crazy way at mile 20. And so I, I became obsessed with it, but long story short, the further down that road I got, the, the less of the cross training, the less martial arts, the less surfing, the less of all these other stuff I was doing, the more running I was doing. And I was always kind of a little bit bummed about that because I love all the other sports that I do. And, you know, I started to feel like, oh man, I don't quite have my lateral ability and like that, that balance that I've always been really proud to, to have as an athlete. Um, run flow gave me that back. So like I do, instead of doing 10 mile runs every day now, I'll do two to three days off a week now. And I do martial arts, you know, like I'm, I'm kicking the bag for 45 minutes instead of going out for, for easy miles. And it's amazing the, the, when you take out the, it junk miles is a term that we've all heard, right? Like I never really believed in junk miles. It's like, you know, the aerobic work clears you out. But now my new perspective is like, yeah, it kind of is a little bit like junk miles. Like, why would I just go run easy? I could do another sport. I could do cross training, which I kind of love to do anyway. And then when I'm running, every time I take a step running, there's a very clear intention and I'm visiting that spectrum of the energetic systems. Um, Every session has all of the ingredients, aerobic, anaerobic, VO2 max, skill work, but there is a contrast with the, um, f- with the, the volume. So you're not always just doing like 45 minutes every day, right? So there is like a 35-minute day. Maybe the next day I'll be an hour and 50 minutes. You know? and, and there's been a couple of weeks that I, in this training cycle that I've, I've gone three different days where I've, I'm at an hour 40 to two hours and I'm doing 18 to 20 miles three times that week. And I've got two to three days off. And so the crazy thing is like, I have these 45 to 55, 60 mile weeks all throughout my training. Like most of my training is like 60 miles, even less. 
And so that's the thing for me that's really kind of scary. It's like, well, can you can you do a good marathon when you're doing 60 mile weeks, 45 mile weeks? But I mean, based on the workouts, I feel amazing, you know? So this is where it's like, I say it's scary. It's scary because it's in the unknown, you know, but it's also a lot of fun. So that's where you got me just like being <laughs> able to do other shit. I, yep. oh man, when we were training for the marathon, I was like, this is fun, but this also just blows having to go out and just like, be like, oh, I'm just going to run five days a week. It's like, I, I just don't operate like that. And I also, it's more too. my body is just not built for long distance running. I have a super long torso. I don't have very long legs. I make a good rock climber, a good swimmer and a good wrestler, but not, but not a good distance runner. And I think that that also just kind of got caught up in my head while we were doing it because these, the long runs always sucks. Like you put me on a track and I, I feel great. I feel fine. This is comfortable for me. Make me run like 20 miles on pavement by myself. And that is just terrifying. <laughs> But what I have like these little bits and pieces, which have sort of added up. And it sounds like, like a lot of this is what really excited you about like kind of this flow method at the beginning was that I would go for longer trail runs and the novelty of like the newness of the terrain changing and the environment changing and going faster on the downhills and slower on the uphills and having this sort of like undulating experience rather than just, just, just flat like, oh, I'm going to go out for four junk miles on Monday to recover from my brutal run on the weekend is like, well, this sucks. And I also always hated having to run two days in a row. So last year I took a kind of a break from like structured running. And I just said, I'm going to run when I feel like it, but often no, no more rules other than that. And I think it helped not personal training as much because I wasn't on my feet as much, but I was lifting and conditioning so hard every morning. And then in the evening I would go out for a run, but I wouldn't have the run be structured at all. And I got like two months into that, got extremely fit and sort of just stopped and looked down. I'm like, why don't my knees hurt or my ankles hurt while I'm doing this? And I realized it's like, I'm not just sort of battering my body and my mind down between all these really structured runs where I had this expectation of what I was supposed to do every time, like laid out, I had to run two days in a row, which I know didn't feel that great for me, where I was like, you know, I'd rather have more intense stuff, which is like a little bit of a break in between. And then when I was like, oh, well, maybe I can add running in with something else. And every time I run and then go do something else after, my brain literally like forgets that I went for a run. And I get this great reset. So I started to do some MMA, started to do some yoga again. I love mountain biking and snowboarding and lifting and any sort of halfway dangerous activity. And realized that like running added into that as a measure of fitness, I actually got also better at the skill work of running. And then running got fun again. And I was more excited to run. It was like all these little bits added up. And then I saw you and Hunter say something about it, looked into it, started doing it. And I was like, wow, this is fucking great. <laughs> so you just described the future of running like that, <laughs> that. What that is, why would you want anything other than that? Right? Like to, to be a, you know, the, the traditional kind of scrawny looking skinny runner, it's just sort of like not worth it, you know? And it's like, I've, I've been down that path to the point where I know it isn't worth it. And I, it's like, I dabbled in it. And what if, I think the Boston thing for me is going to be interesting because it's like, what if you could have both? What if you could be a killer runner and then do all the other stuff you want to do too, right? Like, and I think that's what people like Hunter prove that, you know, hopefully I can prove that in Boston. 
Um, and if we can prove that, then we're basically saying like, throw your old training plans away. Like, welcome back to the, the playground, you know, like that's, and if you think about all of us as kids in the playground, like it was, you're so ready for whatever the world's going to throw at you, you know? And I think like the more we can get back to that, I, I noticed that actually with the, um, with the Kenyan runners that I've, I've come across, like they have that sort of mindset where as, as skinny as they are, and as, as like one kind of sport that they are, they, they approach it with this very sort of like lightheartedness, you know? I mean, it's, it, it is very much like you talked about having no structure, you know, I mean, most of the Kenyans don't have watches, right? Like they, you know, they have these training camps. Now the expectation for them and, and the opportunity to get out of poverty for them is, you know, that's a whole other subject. But um, as far as just the way that their relationship with how they feel on a given run is, that's kind of, that's kind of what it is. It's they're, they're in sync and in flow with themselves. And I think like, you know, to go back to sort of the method, it's, the, the basic idea that Richard kind of like, and you probably read it in the book, was to get away from this Western perspective of if we don't achieve the specific goal that we set out to achieve, we have failed. And he uses the, uh, the, the uh, monks that, that they draw, they paint a circle every single day with a brushstroke. And the purpose of doing that is to, is to try to achieve perfection in the stroke. And they know that perfection is, is impossible to achieve, but they don't ever stop trying to achieve it. And so it's the pursuit of perfection that matters, not the achievement of it. And if you don't achieve it, it's not failure, right? So I think he brings that up in the book because if you start to look at things like running in that way, not hitting an interval, if you don't hit the pace that you were set out to hit, then you're a failure. It's like free yourself from that entire perspective. Instead, just push hard, just go push hard. Maybe it's five minutes and maybe you plan to do five minutes, but today your body doesn't have five minute intervals. So change it to two minute intervals and do that every single time you run. Every time you run, let your body dictate what it needs that day. And so I think the, that that's what flow is really about. Like you're still doing, you're going to try to achieve the, the types of, or try to achieve the, the volumes of, you know, workload relative to each other. But you're you're gonna let yourself decide when you've had enough. Like, okay, that high intensity, that five minutes was was enough. Okay, maybe maybe it's not enough today. Maybe I'm gonna go for ten minutes and I'm gonna hold the hammer down for the whole ten minutes because I got that today. And if you're with yourself on a consistent level and you're meeting yourself where you are every day, holy crap, that is a game changer. And then when you start you start to understand too, like. I know when I can push and I know when I need to pull back. And I think creating that relationship with yourself, you can only do that through consistent training. And it applies to high rocks. It applies to, to martial arts, to weight training, to soccer. It applies to everything, right? Like that, the relationship you get with your intensities in the runs directly affects everything else you do. So like you said, your running started to improve the other stuff you were doing. Well, that's why, because you didn't have the structure with it. You were just sort of like going with how you felt. So essentially you were doing run flow without ever having done it. And I think a lot of people in the world have accident, not accidentally, they've, they've naturally done the same thing. I think what Richard's doing is identifying and calling it something, right? And then now we can sort of like make sure that we're, we're hitting that thing, but it is very natural. I think it's sort of like innate built into us. One of the things that you kind of have mentioned too, which I think is very interesting is how you had been following a specific method for a long time that had produced very good results, right? People can run a sub 230 marathon. There's a select few in the world that can get to that point. And with that, though, you then 
started to have conversation and learning about something that actually might be better. And Jason and I were giving a presentation last week, and one of the bullet points that we had talked about in one of our slides about kind of understanding your first principles as just a human being and coming up with kind of how to create mission statement in life is a quote of having strong opinions loosely held, meaning that you are very like understanding of what it is you want to do, but you also don't let ego get in the way if you realize something is better or something can change. And I think I'd love for you to hear like, how did you in your head say, I am going to shift everything I do as a runner to something different because I think this might get better. Um, I think a lot of coaches specifically, because you do a lot of coaching as well. Um, and Jason and I always talk about this versus like coaching somebody as if they were you versus coaching them knowing that they are them. And it's such a different thing. Like we just want to blast like this methodology maybe that we got taught and that was all we've ever learned. So we put it into somebody's program, but like that might not be what they need. So how did you kind of mentally go through this like restructuring of your almost like your whole philosophy behind what you've done for 50 marathons? Yeah, that's um I, I think it's I think the answer is that I've always been that way. You know, I just have always I've always been I, I came into it not knowing that I don't know anything, you know, and knowing nothing about the sport. So I think I've, I've always been sort of like hungry to learn. And, and, you know, when I've, when I've learned something, it's like, it's like with anything, you know, we, we only know what we think we know and what we are taught. And then, you know, science always, we're not always, but often opens up something else in a new door and a new window for us. Um, whatever it is that we're talking about. So with running, it was no different for me. It was just, you know, oh, wow, it's something I never thought about before. And I, I think, you know, I, and I don't know if you guys know, but I'm founding a company called Guru Running that's essentially delivering the run flow um, and, and creating an app that 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 brings it to the, the doorstep of people. Um, and it's because the thing that's baffled me about running is like, like Runner's World. Like the, it's, I, I remember first buying Runner's World in like, you know, 2006. And when I ran my first marathon, I was like, wow, that's this cool article. Okay. And the next month, oh, that's exactly the opposite thing that that guy said last month. And then the next one's, oh, that's the complete opposite of what it's like this, all this conflicting information. And, and I started going to like the bookstore, you know, before like we were having books online and stuff and, and just trying to find information. And there was just so much conflicting data out there. And that it's so frustrating, you know, and I think even coaching, you know, the years I coached for Nike, I mean, it's, it's amazing how, to your point about ego, how many people are so connected to like, oh, well, I learned this from this guy. So it's, this is the gospel. It's like, I'm sorry, but I just, I, it's, that's not enough for me. Like, just because somebody told you that, like, what were they thinking? Like, how did they get to that, you know, conclusion? And I think if I see the whys and the what's behind that science, like it's way easier to, to accept, but I'm not just going to accept it because, oh, well, you know, Vin Lanana coached me like that. So it's like, it must be the right thing. And it's like, I mean, he's a great coach, but you know, can we not evolve? Are we, are we, have we really gotten to this place where like, okay, we're evolving everything else, but like with the run training, every training, you know, cycle looks the same for every athlete for the last 50 years. Like, ah, eh, I don't know. It just doesn't sound right. So yeah, I think that part's been easy for me to just, you know, as soon as I heard, as soon as I heard Richard start to talk about it, I was already like, sign me up. Um, but looking back before that, I would have never even known that I was in sort of a rut with my thinking, you know? So I like, I have so much thanks for, to Richard for 
coming to a place in his own life. I think he's about 67 years old now, been coaching for 25 years. And I mean, what an amazing thing that he'd come to this place where he's like, I'm just going to freaking flip the whole damn thing in his head, you know, and maybe there's something that we're missing as a whole, you know, so. I think it's so hard to break those very deep rooted lines of learning. It's almost like there's, it's different. It's not even learning. It's, it's education. It's like the system of education, like how you are actually going through the sort of system of learning how to run. Like it's not the individual parts of the learning. That's the problem. It's the system and being a better learner, that is the magic. And that I think is what a lot of new trainers and a lot of new coaches sort of lose is whatever education system they come up underneath, you think, oh, well, that's the way. And then this is my way. And if it doesn't fit this structure without a huge group think going on where everyone comes together and agrees on it, it can't possibly be true or effective. And it's funny, like on sort of the like product curve, you get so many like late adopters. You get so many like laggards and people, I, I, I need to see all this social proof before I try something. And you are in the innovator. You're in the, the very early adopter phase where this is sort of relatively unproven across like a wide array of marathoners but makes perfect sense to someone who's an extremely accomplished and experienced marathoner, like that should give some anecdotal proof to the fact that something like this could work. I think to Brett's kind of thing about the ego and your, your follow on comment, it's really hard to take that risk because training for the Boston marathon and having it go wrong, like could be just detrimental. Like it's just a lot of time. It's a lot of time spent doing stuff. And I don't think that people are willing to go back to the drawing board for an, a really long period of time. And I think that like to your comment about kind of, or about um, Rich's like comment about Western versus Eastern in the West, like we were talking about this in our talk too, that not a lot of people have a great relationship with practice. They're just so outcome oriented that it's just like, well, if I was supposed to do these intervals today, I'm looking at my watch and it didn't work. It's like just kind of beating that in. I just need to try again and keep doing it. It's like, well, maybe, but it also could be that just like the way you were going about it um, is wrong or your timeline is wrong or your expectation of your own performance just needs more time. And I think that's what's interesting is you just, you need a couple people who are in your shoes to say like, well, I'm willing to give it a shot and it's working for me. So let's kind of see what happens. And I think it's really cool to see people who are experienced in a sport or with a skill or any type of trade, like take on the risk like that to say like, you know what, I'm going to put five months, six months, seven months of training and then cap it off with like a big high profile Boston marathon at the end of it. It's like, even most people don't even give a capstone like that to effort. They just silently slide back to whatever they were doing because they don't want to stand in front of the, the public outcome. It's just like, it's a, uh, Good kudos to you for sort of standing behind something like that and really like living it. That's something Brett and I very much appreciate and look up to you for. Well, it's it's going to be an interesting thing that, I mean, it, well, it has been interesting. As soon as I started training with the run flow, I got the invite to the, the pro field for Boston. And I think that was, it would have been very easy to just go, okay, oh, I got the, I got the pro invite. I'm going to train with my traditional methods, tried and true. I know that works. 
hell no. Like, why would I want to do that? <laughs> you know, like I have this chance to try something new and be on this world stage and out in front of everybody, right? Like that's like, it's a perfect opportunity to succeed or fail if you want to look at it from that perspective. But I think I, I don't, I don't see, I guess I just don't see the failure part. Like to me, it isn't yeah. actually failure. Like it's, if I crash and burn, whatever, you know, like I, I think it's, it doesn't necessarily for me disprove the methods if I crash and burn, because there's a lot of, as you guys know, there's a lot that goes into a marathon. It could be, you know, like <laughs> mentally, if you don't have it that day, like you're going to screw it up. Right. So I, there's a lot for me to think about on a personal level that, that I need to do on that day to, to really bring uh, justice to these methods. You know, I feel like I really want to show the world, like, you know, this is, this is what this stuff can do. And like, give credit to Richard's methods with it. Um, but if I don't, you know, it's like, it's, I'm not going to just go back to traditional training. Like I, it, it, I feel so good. I, I mean, when you're, I've been married for, I said my sixth, sixth anniversary. And I, when your wife is saying you look better than you've ever looked, you know, like that's, the, you know, and it's like, and I feel that way too. So it's like, these are these things where it's like having your cake and eating it too, from an athletic perspective, like it does serve you to be able to do different sports. It does serve you to be multi sport fit, you know? And I think hopefully it serves us in the marathon. That's, that's all I can say. <laughs> and we'll find out. Now, Getting ready. I don't think there's a lot of other sub two thirty marathoners that, that say that <laughs> they're like, I just run. I'm a runner. I identify as that. I do nothing else. I only run. It's like being fit and feeling good like that, not feeling worn down, not feeling worn out is like that to me is an absurd accomplishment. You can even run the paces that you're running and turn around and like want to kick a heavy bag or right. Go out and do something like anything leg oriented after that, I think is <laughs> just as impressive. Well, I happen to be reading uh, Bruce Lee's book, Jeet Kune Do, um, The Tao of Jeet Kune Do, when I was talking to Richard that first time. Actually, I'm still reading the book, so I don't want to finish it. Um, but I, I just, I love, I love that man. I love his approach to just life and, and athleticism and his obsession with the mechanical side of sport, you know, the, like with the, the, the science of speed and, and all these things. But what I really like is his coming from China and being a Chinese martial artist, how he was the first one to point out the holes in, in the systems. And he would say, you know, like there's something happening with Western boxing that the, the Eastern martial arts are missing. And it's when you're in range and, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're actually like in this place, like the, the, the Eastern martial arts don't allow for that scenario. So what we have to do is like, forget the arts, like forget what your, whatever your discipline was like that. The best thing that you can be is free from all of it. And I think that's like, I think that sort of perspective has found its way into my thinking. And I, I think that like, it was like a perfect timing with a run flow methods is like, okay, that's exactly what we're talking about. You know, like free yourself from like that traditional thought, try something new and, and it's, it's liberating. So. So one of the things we love asking everybody, and I want to ask this, and then I do want to ask one follow-up question. So this will be the second to last question, um, is our motto at Live Better is to have the best day ever every single day. It sounds like you've been doing a lot of those recently. Um, and so we love to ask, Blue, if you could wake up tomorrow, do anything you want. You could be martial arts. You could be on a long run. It could be the Boston Marathon. What does your best day ever look like? 
Oh man, it's so cool that you guys have that. I, I think like I try to do that all the time. And I think it's, for me, it's, I have two boys, I have a, a, a four-year-old and a three-year-old. And it's been the biggest gift of my life to have these, these little rugrats running around. So I think it's like waking up in the morning with my sons, like making coffee, because I love coffee, like the whole ritual, everything I do pour over at my house. Um, <clears throat> going out for a run first thing, doing a run flow, just visiting that high intensity stuff. Um, and then ideally hitting the beach for a surf if I'm, in, if I'm at the ocean. Um, and just hanging out with the family, you know, and like, and having some good food and, and hanging out with friends, barbecuing later in the day. I think if I'm in the mountains, like it just sort of shifts what, you know, what the outdoor experience would look like. But I think I love the outdoors. So from hiking to surfing to, to biking, anything that's outdoors, I love. And then I think like to cap off my perfect day would be something martial arts from jujitsu to I think mixed martial arts is a little bit more my jam. I, I like I like the striking part. I'm, I'm a blue belt in jujitsu. Um, it's one of those things that I hung up when I really got into running and I, I need to get back to it. But I love just like the mixed martial arts. So always throwing that in there. And yeah, that's kind of my perfect day. I, I could just do that sort of like on repeat for eternity. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fantastic. One thing that you mentioned in a previous answer about the race day being more than the training that goes into it physically. Um, you talked about the mental side of it and all the other preparation. What does your 24 hours leading up to the day and your morning of the day look like for you on a marathon? The, the marathon has gotten way more matter of fact for me. And I think early on, it's just like, it's so daunting and you're just, you know, it's just, it's a lot. And, and you're getting on a bus and it's cold and, you know, the, the smells in a marathon, the people, the, the stuff people put on their legs, like the icy hot stuff. I mean, it's like, it, it's always super interesting to me, but I, I also think it's like very unnecessary. And the more I sort of disconnect from all of that stuff and just kind of eat a normal breakfast, kind of just do everything the same, you know, like don't change. It's like going out for a run. I think the more matter of fact that I make it, the more enjoyment I have in it. Um, I think there's a level of intensity that happens on the start line, no matter what. So like when I get to that start line, like I'm, I'm at the battle, you know, but it's like, until I get to the start line, I don't really change anything. You know, I try to be as normal life, whatever conversation, just having fun, enjoying the moments. And then when I step on the start line, it's like, game on okay, we're going to war, you know? And it's like, I think it's just, I like, I, there's probably a subconscious thing there where it's like, I'm saving that, that vital energy, you know? Like I, I definitely get tired the day before. Like I get really sleepy the day before. Um, I just kind of want to do very little, but yeah, when I hit the start line, the, the one thing that I know about myself is whatever my fitness level, like I always just go to the well. I like, I can, at mile 20, like I can take myself to to the end. <laughs> so like I would be at risk for having a heart attack at mile 25. I'm that type of athlete, you know, it's like, I just, yeah, it's just, it's, and it's one thing I always want to know about myself. Like, do I still have it? Like, am I like, do I, am I still a fighter? You know? And I like so far, yeah, that's, that's been the thing. So that's, that's the fun for me. That's the joy of the specific sport of marathoning that I really have. I have a, a very, like, I'd like an intimate connection to that side of it where, like I, I want to be tested. I want to, I want to battle and that's what, that's what I get from it. So. That's amazing. It is a, it is definitely a warrior's mentality. The more you 
start running, and especially at mile twenty twenty two, if you don't have it when you're running, that you just see people just falling <laughs> left and right off the edge, and it's 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 crazy. Yeah. Um, obviously, you've got a lot of really cool stuff going on, and besides your own training, you're coaching and running on uh, or working with Guru Running and all sorts of really cool stuff. Where can people find out uh, or get involved with what you're doing and or flip their training methods on the head and start to start to train a little bit uh non-traditional as you'd say yeah guru running uh co is our website that's kind of like a great like intro to just learning a little bit more about it and through there you can start to like see links to richard diaz and his, his book training the dark side i think i think that's like the, the starting point is like understanding where it came from you know helps a lot and then yeah and then i think guru like what we've tried to do is take richard's genius you know methods and thoughts and and deliver them in a little bit simpler way so guru running instead of talking about aerobic we talk about cruising instead of talking about anaerobic we call it the push instead of vo2 max it's a burn and so i think it's just associating these terms of that are really connected to how we feel when we're doing them um and that's kind of what guru running is all about so yeah and follow me on instagram that's kind of my love hate relationship with social media when I can get my, t- get myself to tell the story, you know, I think it's cool. Like I really like social media has been a thing where, you know, like we've all, we've all grown up in a time before it came and now it's, it, it showed up at our doorstep and it's, it's like a fun new toy. And I think I, I just have a love hate about it. Like I, I think it's originally, it was very real. And I think it was about the what, and then it started to become more about the who, you know? And I think it's like, if we can keep the Insta- Instagrams and the whatever your social platforms are about the what we're doing, the who is like, yeah, like we, we are who we are, you know? And it's like, it's just, it's always about what we're doing and not about like, what's the name. It's not, not about the name dropping and all that. It's about what we're all doing. So, yeah. Love that. Well, thank you very much, Blue, for having on. Um, loved hearing about Guru running. Um, I am, I have been like testing it a little bit and run through it. I'm excited to do it more. Um, and really excited to, uh, to see you compete at Boston. That's super exciting. Um, and I know we'll be an awesome, awesome, uh, first step on the rest of your, uh, flow running journey. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it was a real pleasure and, uh, good luck in Boston, sir. Thanks, guys. I, I like. I cannot wait to continue to have this conversation with you guys about Runflow. And here, yeah. I, I would I would invite all of the people listening to to just start having conversations with you guys, like and or hit me up, you know, and like open up that conversation. And hopefully, we're all just doing more and more of this, and and we're getting in sync with our own our own uh, bodies, minds, and spirits. Right. <laughs> Love it, boys. Well, Thanks so much, man. Cheers, guys.